welcome to Jurassic Park Minute, a podcast 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park Minute is going to be a fan podcast that is going to chronicle and overanalyze the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. We just found out there was a dinosaur called the Brady Canini, right? That's right, yeah. Going over some, uh, basically trying to find the right pronunciation of some dinosaur names because we don't want to look like idiots. Uh, uh, too late for yeah, that. Too late. <laughs> yeah. And um, one of them that uh, I spotted was Brady Kanimi. See, and Kylosaurus, it's kind of cool to have a dinosaur with part of your name in it, but it's basically just a big old uh, prehistoric armadillo yeah. with a giant butt that it swings around and hits people with. Not or, very not cool. people. No, no, but I think they actually show up in Jurassic Park 3 for, for a hot minute. It's definitely a kind of dinosaur you wouldn't want to mess around with because it's it's got a shell on the top like a turtle. You couldn't get to it. And it's got this tail that would crack your mm-hmm. skull open, but not cool, you know, like a Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. So That's interesting because the movie is called Jurassic Park. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, just how much of what we see in the movie comes from the Jurassic era. And yeah, that's a good question. Because... I know that Velociraptors are from the Cretaceous period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... And uh, T-Rex was not a Jurassic era animal. And someone mm-hmm. asked Michael Crichton, why is this on the logo? And he said, because it looks cool. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. you know what, that's... Yeah. Well, I mean, and, right there, and there's a lot of concessions that are made with this movie to just look cool or sound cool. You know, yeah, the idea of mixing different dinosaurs that wouldn't have been around each other by an, by an era that eclipses the entire span of human civilization. Some That's of these right. dinosaurs yeah. were apart from each other. But it doesn't matter because, you know what, it's a fun movie. It happens because it works. And, uh, you know, this movie, we're, we're going to encounter that a lot. There's a lot of concessions that were made in the making of this film, but you don't recognize any of that because it works so well. Exactly. Which is another reason why we chose it to do as our next movie. We're going to start today with the first 60 seconds of... Jurassic Park. So, That's right. But before we get into that, let me ask you this question. Uh, why is it that Jurassic Park was the movie that you wanted to move on to next after we did Ghostbusters Moon instead of doing uh, Ghostbusters 2? Jurassic Park is... Um everybody's got a movie that kind of like just hits them in a certain way that they can't quite put into words why or how it does it. And Jurassic Park is that movie for me. I, I can remember being eight years old and hearing about this movie coming out and then it just was it was my life i mean it was the thing that i lived for every bit of information i could get on this movie was just um the highlight of my day and uh it was that it's the same case for a lot of people of my generation every generation has a big movie event like this that sort of defines that generation and in some cases defines the the individual yeah you know like um there are some people who are just lifelong devotees to star wars every single minute of every day is Star Wars. It's, it's on their brain all the time. And so Jurassic Park is kind of that for uh, a lot of people in, in, of my generation. And you felt that with this movie that there was a, a fair amount of craft going on behind the scenes, a lot of interest. I mean, we, it's the first movie to really use like large-scale CGI as a storytelling tactic, correct? Yeah. This it movie, was a watershed moment in cinema history. Definitely. It, it sort of uh, redefined the medium in a way yeah. and uh, really brought special effects in particular in just to a whole new... Uh, arena, and this is the movie that did it, and it wasn't just a special effects-driven story. I mean, this is a character-driven story with a lot of spectacle on the side, and it's just coming from such a brilliant place, uh, the genes of Michael Crichton, ideas that are plausible, but still... Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, when the book came out, it was definitely praised as being uh, a realistic science fiction that also combined a lot of action elements. So you could, if you were interested in like DNA strands or chaos theory or something like that, you could pick up this book and find something to chew on there. But you're, if you were just a fan of action type stuff, it, it has a very compelling narrative that gives you some very uh, exi- exciting and you know uh, enthralling sequences. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the film carries that over uh, in in its own way. Yeah, you know, it uh, changes things up and 
some cases, sometimes for the better, I think. Uh, it gives you some philosophy to chew on and some action to entertain you, which, uh, you know, movies like The Matrix, I would argue, does that well. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's something to think about where at the same time you're entertained by the visual uh, stylings of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, hey, do you want to go ahead and start getting into the first 60 seconds of Jurassic Park? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. At zero, 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 we open on a shot of beams of light coming over the side of the Earth. At 026, the lettering for Universal begins to rotate around the globe that is the Universal logo. At 036, the letters center themselves in front of the globe, and the faint noise of crickets can be heard in the background. The night call of jungle birds can be heard as well. At 038, words fade in underneath the logo, reading, An AMC Company. At 40 seconds, the low rumble rises in the background as the screen fades to black. At 45 seconds, from the black screen, the words Universal Pictures Presents fade up in the Jurassic Park font. At 48 seconds, John Williams' Jurassic Park score builds in the background. At 53 seconds, the words, an Amblin Entertainment production, fade onto the screen. The words fade out. And thus ends the first 60 seconds of Jurassic Park. In this minute, starting off with this episode, uh, I think we've, it's very, when we did Ghostbusters Minute, Ghostbusters kind of jumps right into it. You yeah. got a little bit of an introduction with uh, the Columbia logo, and we had a lot to unpack, actually, in that Columbia the logo, mm-hmm. which I was very surprised of. Uh, this one, we get the Universal Studios logo. I love Universal opening sequences. They yeah. changed it up throughout the years. It's always been really cool. You know, the original one had that like kind of uh, mirror globe. It was like a globe, but it was reflected and the words Universal Studios were rotating around it. Yeah. Then you had the little airplane coming around. Yeah, the little airplane. Yeah, They've, yeah. Yeah, they changed it multiple times um, mm-hmm. over the years and uh, over the decades. And uh, there's something about the, you know, whenever a, a opening logo for a movie studio comes up before your movie, it always gets your blood, you know, pumping and everything like that. Right. And every time the Universal logo comes on screen, it just does it a little bit extra for me because um, they have just been producing these, uh, you know, I don't know, landmark movies since the beginning. Yeah. Since the beginning. I've actually got a little bit of history on Universal. Hit me. So yeah, Universal uh, Pictures is actually the oldest American movie studio, and it was founded by a German immigrant named Carl Limley in 1912, and he kind of wanted to break away from the Edison mold of uh, making movies, and one of the things that he was going to do was to get out of the Edison monopoly of movie making was to uh, start his own movie studio and produce his own films, uh, along with all of the people that he uh, opened the studio with, and one of the ways that he was going to break away from this Edison model was to give his performers billing, which was something that the uh, Edison style of film production uh, wouldn't allow. And in doing that, Carl Limley actually created the first movie star, the first Hollywood celebrity, which is a lady named Florence Lawrence. He was also able to produce lavish, big-budget, fun movies, uh, but he wanted the he wanted the ability to do them and also have them be high grade. Eric von Stroheim was producing a lot of his stuff at Universal, but they were so costly that uh, Carl Limley was trying to find a way to produce movies on that scale, but do it uh, a little bit more cost friendly, uh, but still have that same impact. So uh, another way that he went about doing that was hiring filmmakers and artists to adapt classic stories and um, that he knew were going to bring in large crowds. And one of the ways he would bring in those large crowds was cast someone who would uh, bring a great performance but also have a lot of spectacle. One of the people who did that was Lon Chaney, the man of a thousand faces. So uh, that tradition of just producing things that are top quality 
pieces of art, but also just mammoth blockbuster uh, movie-going experiences still continues to this day, and that is reflected in um, the hiring of sort of an art house, I guess you could call him art house, independent director like Colin Trevorrow and giving him just a huge franchise like Jurassic Park, uh, which would be Jurassic World. So that's a trend of creating just top quality, entertaining movies. As far as this logo goes, uh, there's, there's, I, I like, like you said earlier, when you see the Universal logo, it kind of gets you excited. I get excited when I see it, no matter which one it is. I know that they produced, um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, and they used the old like 1970s logo for that one, which yeah. was just the planet and then the kind of like a dust cloud around it. But this begs a question. If the studio is named Universal Studios, why is their logo the Earth? Wouldn't, don't you think it'd be maybe like the a solar system or the yeah, Milky right. Way or maybe a collection of stars or something? I mean, I get it. The Earth is in space. Everything is. But still, I've always wondered that whenever I was like, Universal Studios, okay, well, are we going to see the rest of the universe? Or is it the space behind the Earth? We're sp- I don't yeah, know. maybe. I don't know. So the first of the two logos we're seeing here is the one that was debuted for Jurassic Park The Lost World. And it uses a Jerry Goldsmith take on the Universal Studios lo- um, opening like like song. I don't know if there's an actual like, term for that, but they're theme song. I guess I guess that is the term, the theme song, yes. the universal score, if you will, which has been remade by like John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner. It's, They've all done variations on it. Now, the second logo that we see here was the one that was introduced in 1990 as part of Universal Studios 75th anniversary. And it usually includes the Jerry Goldsmith score, except for this version of it uses a John Williams version of the score. So then, of course, we have uh, John Williams score start to pick up in the background with just some, uh, you know, flutes. It's very quiet. We get that boom yeah. that we use. Uh, it's, it's very ominous. Yeah, very... It's setting the mystery of what's going on. That's right. And I think um, that's what this film has that the sequels do not have. And that is that sense of mystery and awe. And I think a lot of that is uh, encapsulated here in, 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 in that opening when you first get that boom, you know, yeah. and the music mm-hmm. starts. Uh, and the, the sequels... You know, they, there's really no way that you could kind of reintroduce these things for the first time. Yeah. Um, it's it's a bell that has been rung and cannot be unrung in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, you know, uh, un- unless you're using the mystery element. The the CG thing, we've seen it. It's been in every movie since Jurassic Park. You know, it's a different de- varying degrees of quality. And I think it's, you know, CG is just amazing what they can do with it these days. But that first time we saw it in Jurassic Park, and we'll get into this one, you know, in a few minutes later when we see the, you know, Brachiosaurus for the first time. But it, 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 you're right. It is difficult to recapture that feeling that you had the first time you saw this movie. But, right. So Amblin Entertainment got a hold of the production for this movie. It looked like Steven Spielberg had been thinking about doing this movie for a while. Uh, Michael Crichton actually originally wrote this as a screenplay, not as a book. So his idea was, just like he did with Westworld, uh, and the great train robbery and runaway, he was going to come out and you know uh, shop this around Hollywood. So, but uh, Amblin Entertainment is a very interesting uh, group because they've worked with several different production houses. They were production uh, facilities. They've used Universal. They've used uh, DreamWorks. They've used Disney very recently with the BFG this year. But Amblin Entertainment was formed in 1981 by Steven Spielberg, Frank Marshall, and Kathleen Kennedy. Amblin was formed as a production company for Steven Spielberg as well as some of his director's friends. Uh, Amblin producers, excuse me, Amblin Productions include under Joe Dante, Gremlins, Small Soldiers, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Inner Space, under Robert Zemeckis, The Back to the Future trilogy. Who Framed Roger Rabbit under Brian Levant, uh, the Flintstones duology, Matthew Roberts, Batteries Not Included, Barry Levinson did Young Sherlock Holmes with them, Penelope Spheres did the 1994 film remake of The Little Rascals. 
which, you know, it's funny because she went on to do like, she did like Society, like the punk movie first, and then she goes on to do like The Little Rascals. She's had a very colorful career. Um, uh, Brad Siberling did Casper. Don Bluth did An American Tale, Tale, The Land Before Time, American Tale, Five Will Goes West. Clint Eastwood did The Bridges of Madison County, Flags of Our Fathers, Letters from Iwo Jima, Hereafter. Gil Keenan did Monster House, which is an amazing movie that not a lot of people have seen. Martin Campbell did The Mask of Zorro, Legend of Zorro. Richard Donner did The Goonies, of course. Wanda Bont, Twister. Barry Sonnenfeld did The Men in Black trilogy. And, and Joe Johnston did uh, Jurassic Park 3. J.J. Abrams did Super 8. That was pretty recent. And the Coen brothers did True Grit. Yes. Amblin defines the child childhood of so many people especially of our generation i mean growing up on movies like the gremlins and uh, goonies goonies et things like that um and you know you've seen that amblin style kind of carried over recently into stranger things on netflix so yeah uh, yeah it's 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 a style and a feeling more than anything else but you know amblin has also done some tv stuff they did uh tiny toon adventure sequest dsv animaniacs earth 2 pinky and the brain er freakazoid they did er wow it's crazy back to the future when it was a cartoon family dog the Spooktacular Adventures of Casper, Fievel's American Tales. And, you know, there's so much stuff here to to uh, discuss. It would be like an hour if we were just here listing off all the Amblin productions. It would. Now, you mentioned ER. You do yeah. know the, the Jurassic Park ER connection, correct? Uh, Michael Crichton came up with ER. All yes. right, here's the thing. So Michael Crichton uh, had come up with a story about a cloned dinosaur, pterodactyl, and a theme park, and a little boy... And that scenario was going to just sort of play like the dinosaur, the pterodactyl got out on the loose and the little kid was going to be involved somehow. Anyway, it was a very rough idea. But he was also um, teaming up with Steven Spielberg to produce a hospital drama movie called ER. Hmm. So when they're talking about this, Spielberg says, you know, this uh, idea you have about a cloned dinosaur in a theme park, why don't we like try and, I don't know, go with that. Let's see if we can go with that maybe and, and do this ER thing as like a TV show. And we'll get around to that in a little while. And that was sort of the germination of the uh, movie Jurassic Park. And uh, so whenever they started kind of getting that up and running, and he refined the story a little bit more, built upon it, and then created the book Jurassic Park, uh, he started shopping around the idea to different studios. But he always had Spielberg in mind as yeah, director. Yeah, but, but at some point, different uh, weren't different production units or, or uh, uh, different uh, per yeah. Yeah, 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 they were trying to get different directors on Jurassic Park, right? That's right, yeah. Whenever I say shopping it around, I mean studios were just pouncing on right. it. And everybody wanted to get this thing because they knew this was just going to be huge. Uh, each studio had their own director that they wanted to attach to it. Uh, Tim Burton was one of them. Uh, James Cameron also showed a lot of interest. Richard Donner and Joe Dante. Now, I've heard um, James Cameron uh, talk about his, his approach was going to be very, very, very different from the book. Uh, and it was basically, but he was basically just going to be remaking Aliens, but he was going to be putting dinosaurs in place of the aliens. And he was going to cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as Alan Grant, Bill Paxton as Ian Malcolm, and Charlton Heston as John Hammond. Mm. And he has since said that... Uh, so they went on to do all to do True Lies together, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and he's uh, recently said in an interview that he thinks uh, the best adaptation of that book was the movie that we got. Yeah. And he thinks that Steven Spielberg was the only person who really could have done it. Tim Burton's version would have been interesting. Very uh, interesting. By interesting, yeah. meaning I'm glad the one we, we got the one we got, but I would like to see what his imagining of that world would mm-hmm. have been like. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, Richard Donner, the guy who created the Goonies, I think that, that could have been really interesting. All right, well, that's pretty much all I've got for the first 60 seconds of Jurassic Park. Now, again, we're talking a lot about Universal Studios, Amblin Entertainment, the logos we saw today. Really nothing going on on screen. Yeah, not so, a lot. Uh, expect a little bit more tomorrow in the you know, forthcoming episodes of Jurassic Park Minute. Uh, Universal Studios love their opening sequences, their opening logo sequences. They do take a little long. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. A little while to get over with. So, 
Alright folks, so that is our first 60 seconds of Jurassic Park Minute. Make sure you join us back again tomorrow. We're going to be overanalyzing the first minute of Jurassic Park. Actually, I think picking up with the words Jurassic Park on screen. I so. think so, yeah. All right, Brady, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's go. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our podcast. Be back here tomorrow. And until then, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com. Facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Minute and Twitter.com slash Jurassic Minute.